According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me, if you would, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, it's the only uh, portion of our <clears throat> harmony of the Gospels that does not come from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It comes from 1 Corinthians 15. Episodes 10 and 11. 10 and 11 in our outline. We only have two more to go after this, 12 and 13. We have the Great Commission and we have the Ascension. So that's how close we are to the conclusion of our Life of Christ series. Episode 12 is the Great Commission coming out of Matthew chapter 28 and uh, also Luke 24. Uh, but we're going to do some work with that to break those two uh, events up or break that one up event into two events I think is a better way of handling that and then uh, episode 13 then for the ascension but for now let's deal with 1 Corinthians 15 I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and so with the death burial resurrection of Jesus Christ here's the fundamental components of our gospel when you're talking to an unbeliever about the uh, provision for the forgiveness of sin and the receiving of eternal life this is the story you're going to tell them this is part of the good news that uh, payment has been made on their behalf paul doesn't stop there he goes on to say and that he appeared to cephas then to the twelve after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time most of whom remain until now but some have fallen asleep Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. And that gets us down through verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now you notice when we start dealing with the appearances, once we get to verse 5, it's slightly different than what we have in verses 3 and 4 because it's not according to the scriptures. It was not prophetically anticipated. Uh, there was nothing in the Old Testament that that spoke of the coming church age. There was nothing in the Old Testament that spoke of uh, apostles that would be commissioned by a resurrected Messiah. <laughs> okay, and it really is not related to anything in uh, Jewish prophecy. Uh, and so, obviously, it's we're talking about a separate issue than when we talk about the death, burial, resurrection. Those were according to the scriptures. It is a feature of Jewish prophecy that they would crucify their Christ, but that he would not be abandoned to Sheol, that his body would not undergo decay, that he would be resurrected. And those were components of Jewish prophecy in the Old Testament scriptures. So uh, in any event, we're not going to focus on that today. We're going to focus on five and following his appearances. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then to more than 500 at one time. Uh, then to James, and then to all the apostles. All the apostles. And we'll have to spend some time on that, because there's a lot of folks that don't understand that the apostles is more than the twelve. Okay? Well, this passage uh, obliterates that misconception. Because you have the twelve in verse 5, then all the apostles in verse 7. And those are different groups. They're not the same. You've got to understand why they're not. So, Here's where we are. Before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer. Ask the Father to bless our thinking, to set aside distractions, and bless our time in His Word today. Shall we pray?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, for the privilege that we have to assemble together this morning. We ask for your hand of blessing upon our time together, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that you would open our minds to understand the scriptures. We thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we should wrap this up today. We have to wrap this up today because we don't have class next week or the week after. This is our final Life of Christ class for the year. Um, next uh, Sunday morning is Christmas. You maybe are already aware of that. <laughs> I was teasing my children that uh, we would open presents when, whenever I get home from Life of Christ class, which is usually 11.30, sometimes 12. If I meet somebody for lunch after class, then maybe it could be 12.30 or 1 by the time I make it home from uh, Life of Christ. And they didn't seem to be uh, too eager to wait till 1 o'clock in the afternoon to open their Christmas present. Anyway, so no uh, ladies' prayer, no pastoral training, and no Life of Christ uh, on Christmas or on New Year's. So there's two uh, weeks in a row without the Wednesday morning schedule. We will have a Wednesday evening schedule, however, just no Wednesday morning schedule on those days. All right. Uh, for the outline, we are studying the post-resurrection, and, and I don't know, do you think this is corny? Probably. I do too. The post-resurrection, ecclesiastical, apostolic callings, and hand of fellowship extensions. P-R-E-A-C-H. What we're looking at are the events in which Jesus Christ appeared and did far more than just prove his resurrection. These appearances are more than just simply, look at me, I'm not dead anymore. Okay? It's just, that is such a, a, a shallow understanding of what these appearances are. So much more is taking place. They are apostolic callings. Apostolic callings. And I think when you look at Galatians 2, you find the hand of fellowship extension, whereby apostles were um, identified amongst themselves as being co-equal, peers with one another, because the apostles, no apostle had sovereignty over any other apostle. Every apostle was a representative of Jesus Christ with representative authority. And Paul and, and Peter may disagree on issues. Paul and Barnabas may disagree on issues, in which case they separate and they go and do their things. But no apostle had authority over any other apostle. They may come together and they may, they may debate issues like circumcision or observance of the law, things like that, in the Jerusalem conference of Acts 15. And they would have a speaking order, but there's no sovereignty in the midst of these apostles. They're co-equal before uh, before Jesus Christ, representatives of Jesus Christ. And so that hand of fellowship, the hand of fellowship extension that we see in Galatians 2 between apostles, I think is a significant component of apostolic ministry in the early church. So I've, I created an acronym, and, and I don't know, I don't like it as well as I liked it a month ago. Uh, post-resurrection. And, and I put the E in there because there's different kinds of apostles, the apostles of the Lamb were in the Old Testament. The apostles of the Lamb were in the Gospels. They were, they were serving with Christ in this first Advent ministry. They were apostles. There were 12 of them, and one of them wasn't even saved. Uh, Judas Iscariot was an apostle, an Old Testament apostle before Pentecost. He was an apostle who traveled with Jesus Christ. He had the Holy Spirit and the capability of casting out demons, 
Should have cast him out of himself. <laughs> okay? Because Satan indwelled him to, to uh, go and betray Jesus on that night in which he was betrayed. So there are Old Testament apostles, the twelve, and then there are ecclesiastical apostles. In other words, post-Pentecost, uh, in the church age. And I think that's significant. Ecclesiastical apostolic callings and hand of fellowship extensions. So in other words, preach. P-R-E-A-C-H. The preach extensions. The preach extensions where Jesus Christ summons a man. They were all men, by the way. Jesus Christ summons a man and calls him to apostolic ministry. And uh, they're outlined for us here in 1 Corinthians 15. This is a straightforward outline with a sequence, with a first and a last. All right? He appeared to Cephas first. He appeared to Paul last. Peter and Paul represent the first and the last when it comes to the apostolic callings for the church age. Now, it's important that we have this because these are inserted in our uh, harmony outlines, in our, in our harmony of the gospel outlines. These events are inserted in there because they're not covered in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When we, when we study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have women that he appears to. We have the Emmaus Road disciples that he appears to. We have the disciples minus Thomas and then the disciples with Thomas. And then we have another appearance uh, along the sea where they're fishing. There's seven of them there. The, the do you love me more than these chapters? So as we work our way through the harmony of the Gospels, we have other appearances that are not included in this list. And we want to understand that, uh, which was point two in our outline. The women that he certainly appeared to first are not mentioned here. There is no doubt that Mary Magdalene was the first human being that he appeared to after he was resurrected. There is no doubt. When you harmonize all the Gospel records, Mary Magdalene and the other women. And as we broke them down, we we, uh, studied them under episode 3 and episode 4. The RTTA 3 and RTTA 4 refers to the the chapters, the episodes in our Harmony of the Gospel outline. That's the resurrection through the ascension portion, episode 3, episode 4, when he appeared to Mary Magdalene and when he appeared to the other women. And there is no question that that they... saw Jesus before Cephas did, before Peter did. And yet Cephas is the one that's mentioned first in 1 Corinthians 15, 5. Why is that? Because even though Mary Magdalene saw him, she was not called as an ecclesiastical apostle. She did not receive the hand of fellowship extension. She was not commissioned to represent Jesus Christ as an apostle in the church age. No woman was. No woman was. The, The 12 apostles of the Lamb... All men. Twelve men, zero women. The apostles, uh, the ecclesiastical apostles in the church, all men, with one debatable female name in, in, in uh, Romans 15. Otherwise, all men. Every named apostle in the New Testament, all men. And I suspect, I think consistent with that then, the 500 brethren at one time, all men as far as the apostolic calling is concerned. Had there been women observing, that's fine, but they weren't called as apostles. So, uh, the women he certainly appeared to first are not mentioned here because they were not commissioned to be apostles. Same thing with the Emmaus Road Disciples. Uh, Episode 6 in your outline. Remember, uh, we studied that under Episode 6. The um, uh, Emmaus Road Disciples. 
Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. Why aren't they mentioned here? He appeared first to Cephas, then to the twelve, after that to more than 501 times. Well, what about the two guys on the Emmaus Road? They're left out of this catalog in 1 Corinthians 15. That's correct. They were not. Uh, if they were included among the 500, then that's when they received their calling, not on the Emmaus Road. Paul, uh, he would not have called those two guys before he called Peter. And he called Peter at the time um, prior to, uh, or just uh, prior to his appearance to these guys. Anyway, more on that. If you want more on that, we've been teaching this the last two weeks, and I don't want to spend all my time on point two. Cephas, Simon, Peter, Barjona, Barjon. <laughs> How many names does this guy have, anyway? Cephas, Simon, Peter, Barjona receives the first post-resurrection, ecclesiastical, apostolic calling, and hand of fellowship extension. All right? He is not the first pope, but he is the first apostle (laughs) called as an apostle. Called as an apostle. He is the first one to receive the post-resurrection appearance and commission. Very clearly, according to not only 1 Corinthians 15.5, but also Luke 24.34. He had a personal appearance by Jesus Christ prior to the evening of uh, Sunday night, uh, April 5th, 33 AD. Before, before Jesus pops into that upper room with the doors locked and the windows shut, and all of a sudden he stands in their midst in, uh, in front of the 11, 10 technically, because Thomas was missing, um, he pops into this empty room and says, peace be with you. Peter had already had an appearance prior to that. All right? And he was called first. Oh, I'm good. Thanks. I don't remember all our signals. We have all these signals for for things. The man watching the recording desk, he's watching the cameras, and we're, we've got signals for the doors and the different... Doug was just asking me if I needed a cup of coffee. All right. So Simon Peter was the first, called as an apostle. The twelve received the second preach extension. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, both of which were on Sunday, Easter Sunday, or Resurrection Sunday, April 5th, 33 AD. Peter in his home, the twelve in the upper room. Although to be technical about it, the twelfth was not uh, didn't get it until eight days later on that Monday when finally Doubting Thomas had his uh, appearance. We read about that in episodes uh, seven and eight. Seven and eight in the Resurrection through the Ascension outline. Described in Luke chapter 24, also John chapter 20. And in John chapter 20 is where we have the detail that it really took place over two occasions uh, because Doubting Thomas was missing uh, the first night. We don't know where he was, what he was doing, uh, but uh, Thomas was not present that Sunday night. Thomas did not receive his calling until um, the, the, the following Monday, eight days later. It would have been Monday the 13th of April, 33 A.D. We also have to conclude that Matthias and Joseph Barsabbas were also present. They were in that upper room, either on that Sunday night or the following Monday night, because the 12 includes Matthias. The 12 includes Matthias and could have included Joseph Barsabbas 
They were also in that upper room. Luke 24 tells us that there were others in that upper room when Jesus popped in and said, peace be with you. And so they received the hand of calling fellowship extensions. Finally, the third, point five, the third preach extension was to more than 500 brothers at one time. Now, Jesus had a resurrection ministry of 40 days, right? 40 days. Because his ascension was 10 days before Pentecost. And Pentecost is Penta, 50, 50 days. Okay, so if, if he was ascended 10 days before Pentecost, that means that he was, had a resurrection ministry, walking this earth here and there, for roughly 40 days, you know, minus three for when he was in the grave. But he was raised on the third day. He was ascended on the 40th day. So counted as 37, uh, 37 resurrection days of ministry. And we know very little about what he was doing during that time. We really just have this handful of, of, of events. Uh, and, and a lot of them were on that first resurrection Sunday. Okay, We know that... that Eight days later on that Monday, he had another upper room locked door uh, appearance to the 12. We know that sometime he had a a breakfast on the beach with the the seven that had gone fishing. Sometime in the course of those 40 days. We know that he had another class where he was uh, up on the mountain where he gave them the great commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been granted to me. We suspect there were a lot of other appearances. They weren't apostolic calling appearances. But it's not a lot of things to be doing in 37 days. What else was he doing in those 37 days? Well, he had at least two ascensions to heaven, maybe more. He had to lead captivity captive. He had to cleanse the heavenly temple. When he gives the Great Commission message, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What else was he doing during those 37 days? And what else were the other resurrected saints doing during those 37 days? Because we know in in Matthew that there were other Old Testament saints that uh, came out of the tombs on on that Sunday. That's not a feature of our our, uh, outline here. What were they doing during those following days? How long did they stay on earth? When did they go to heaven? How long did they walk around and and appear to many? Probably just that first day, I'm thinking. I'm thinking just that first day. Jesus was the only one that that stuck around uh, for 37 days, but maybe. Maybe they were around for 37 days. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 6. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep now until now until now until the writing of first corinthians all right until the writing of this book and when do we date this the writing of this book 53 i think is a good date 54 maybe the spring of 54 let some time go by uh so 53 or 54 80 20 years after the event if, if, we, if we settle on 53, uh, when Paul was in Ephesus, we can, we can pinpoint when Paul was in Ephesus, we can pinpoint when Paul was in Corinth, because Gallio was the proconsul there, and we know when he was the proconsul. We have secular history that corroborates the, the certain elements of Paul's ministry as well. Felix and Festus, when were they appointed? We've got secular history that corroborates the outline from the book of Acts. 
So um, take 53 as the writing, AD as the writing of 1 Corinthians, is when he says they remain until now. The event was in 33. There's, a, there's, a, there's 20 years. There's 20 years, and most of them are still alive after 20 years. Let's, let's look at uh, Matthew 28. To me, this mountain is the most likely venue. Uh, you know, where else would he address 500 people? You know, like when he fed the 5,000, when he fed the 4,000. I mean, where do, you, where do you pack those kind of crowds? You know, you've got to have an open-air space of sufficient uh, uh, size. And, and, a, and an open-air mountaintop venue is, uh, is uh, consistent with that. So, Matthew twenty-eight sixteen, the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Designated. When did he designate that? When he appeared to the women. You'll notice in uh, uh, first the angels and then Jesus. In verse 7, there's an angel who said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. They're in the tomb. They're in the empty grave. The body's not there. Jesus isn't there, but an angel's there. And he says, Don't be afraid. He's risen. Come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. So their message, when the angel told these women, and these are the other women, not Mary Magdalene, but the other women, saying, go and tell the disciples he's going to meet them in Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And so they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. But then see, in between verse 8 and verse 9, something happens. And we studied this when we looked at this event. They actually, according to uh, Mark and according to Luke, they actually started to become afraid again. And so Jesus meets them. Behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. Came up and took hold, and they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, "Do not be afraid. Go." And he's going to repeat what the angels told them to do. Remember, because they had take, they they took off at first, excited, and then they stopped, and then they got scared again. So Jesus meets them along the way and says, "Do not be afraid." Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. There they will see me. Jesus in verse 10 has the same message the angel had in verse 7. And if you were with us when we studied this episode, we harmonized it with the Luke account that said that they were afraid to tell anybody. Okay? Anyway, so uh, the women finally uh, get there and give the message that they have to... uh, Meet him in Galilee, and verse 16, they proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus uh, came up and spoke to them, saying, came up, the idea that it's a mountain, that it's a high place, and he's the last one to get there. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, we have the Great Commission. We call this the Great Commission. It is normative for the entire church age. In other words, uh, we can't uh, chicken out and say, well, I wasn't on that mountain. God doesn't expect me to do this, does he? This was only to the 12. It was more than 12. It was 500 at one time. But it was more to just them also. 
we're all expected to make disciples. We are disciple makers. We understand what was foundational, but what was also normative to be followed in the totality of the church age. I don't think it's even debatable, but some people want to they want to find any kind of reason to not give the gospel to people, I guess. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now why would that apply to just the 12 that were there, or the 500 that were there, the people that were there in person? Uh, they're not going to last to the end of the age. <laughs> but Jesus says, I am with you to the end of the age. Because he's speaking to more than just them. He's speaking to them, but he's speaking to every believer throughout the church age from Pentecost to rapture. Every member of the royal family of God, we know from 2 Corinthians 5, we have the ministry of reconciliation that's entrusted to us. We are to be begging the unbeliever on behalf of, of Christ Jesus to be reconciled to God. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All right. So to me, the most likely venue for this preach extension was the Great Commission event. That when he appeared to the twelve, that he also appeared to the five hundred. That this, uh, when he to appear to five hundred at one time, needed a, a significant amount of space. Okay, well, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. In any event, there are 500 apostles out there, most of which are still alive 20 years later. Most of which can bear witness to the truth of 1 Corinthians. This is, this is why uh, 1 Corinthians is wonderful for us in our uh, apologetics ministries, in our studies on the canon, in our studies on how the New Testament books were accepted by the churches that received them, and how they were accepted as canonical as they were received. Because you have all of these apostles to bear witness to what was truly coming from, uh, from the Lord. I believe this also included Barnabas. When was his calling? When was his calling? Well, in the 1 Corinthians 15 outline, it would not have been Cephas, would not have been the twelve, would not have been uh, to James, then to all the apostles, which I think is a subset that includes james's brothers um could have been there but i think likely that barnabas was in the 500 barnabas was one of the 500 that was on that mountain at that time he is called an apostle in acts 14 14 he's called an apostle in first corinthians 9 6 he's called an apostle in galatians 2 9 three times the new testament calls barnabas an apostle you know what i think that means i, I think it means barnabas was an apostle that's right <laughs> And it's really, it's obvious until you encounter somebody that can't accept anybody except Paul to be apostle number 12. And, and that's, just, that's just a hang-up. They've got to get over it. Um, there's, there's, there's a new Jerusalem coming that has um, the, the names of, of 12 apostles on the foundation stones. Okay? And, uh, I mean, you look at it in Revelation 22, and you've got the heavenly Jerusalem descending, and the foundation stones... Um, uh, or ch chapter 21 and the gates and uh, okay well the names of the apostles and then there's the uh, 12 tribes
Revelation 21.14 says that uh, the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Alright? And then we have... uh, you know, another significance to the number 12. Jesus said that they would sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. It's one of the promises, uh, rewards to those apostles of the Lamb. And so there are pastors and theologians that, uh, that really fixate on that number 12. And in their minds then, then Barnabas isn't an apostle. James is not an apostle. All those others, they're not apostles. There could only be 12. And it has to be Paul. Matthias was illegitimate. Then in Acts chapter 2, well, okay, Peter and those guys, they, they, they thought they were smart. They thought they were, they were you know, the drawing lots to pick Matthias. I said, they were wrong. Matthias wasn't really an apostle. Paul is the 12th apostle. And they'll teach that from their pulpits and write that in their books and so forth. Um, but what they miss out on is that Okay, fix it on the number 12, that's great, but how about of the Lamb? Let's, let's locate that and find out that an apostle of the Lamb is not the same as an apostle of, maybe, an apostle of the Christ or an apostle of Jesus Christ or a New Testament apostle. What is precise about the Lamb? The Lamb speaks of Christ in his humility, in his kenosis, when he emptied himself, when he went to the cross, when he was a sacrifice. And when he was a sacrifice on the cross, uh, Paul wasn't an apostle yet. Okay? Barnabas wasn't an apostle yet. The only ones that were apostles were the 11 plus Matthias who was appointed, by the way, he was appointed in Acts chapter 1 before Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Significant. They had to finish the 12 before the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. There were only 12 men that were apostles before the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And they are the apostles of the Lamb. Matthias will have his name on the foundation stone, not Paul. Paul will not have his name on the foundation stone. Neither will Barnabas, neither will James or Jude, the brothers of the Lord, or any of the other 500 that were on that mountain that day. The the 12th name will be Matthias on that stone. All right. Well, there we have it. Let's give you 6, 7, and 8 and uh, wrap this up. James, the eldest of Jesus' physical brothers. And I think this preach extension likely included all four of the Lord's physical brothers. And I'll show you why here in a moment. But he appeared to 500 at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then, then, now he's mentioned after the 500, you think, well, isn't that kind of a letdown then? Well, this is the order that it took place. Peter first, the 12, the 500. Then James. Then James. Now, <laughs> there's lots of Jameses because James isn't even a real name. Jacob is the Old Testament name. <clears throat> but, <laughs> oh well. We'll call him James because that's the tradition we have ever since the King James Bible. Sad. <laughs> we should call it the King Jacob Bible. And uh, <laughs> can't do that. The English king was not named Jacob. The English king was named James. So they take the, uh, the Greek Jacobos and they translate it James. When they're talking about New Testament Jacobs, 
they translate it Jacob when they're talking about Old Testament Jacobs. But Jacob and James are the same name. Okay? And that's just a quirk of English as it comes through the Middle French, Middle English, and on into Modern English. Now, of all the James, there's the James, the son of thunder, right? James and John were the two sons of thunder. James, son of Zebedee. There was also a James the Less, okay? who was a, either a younger or shorter James than James the son of Zebedee, brother of John. Uh, there were at least there were two disciples named James, or Jacob, more likely. They were Jewish guys. They're going to be named Jacob. But there were two disciples named James. There was also the, the human half-brother of our, of our Lord named James. All right? And uh, the Lord's physical brothers that are mentioned. Uh, James and Jude and Joseph and Simon were their four names. There were also two sisters, at least two sisters, plural sisters. We don't know how many, we don't know their names. Um, but we do know about them because of the reference to them in the, uh, in the Gospels. 1 Corinthians 15, 7, he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Uh, Acts 12, 17. Acts 12, 17. When Peter gets out of jail that night, I love this chapter because it's easier to get out of jail than it is to get into a prayer meeting, but he, um, uh, the servant girl, Rhoda, leaves him hanging on the porch while she goes running in. <laughs> and uh, anyway, verse 17, motioning them to, uh, with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison and he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he went to another place. Now, James and the brethren, that's interesting. Because these guys are the brethren. And you study the brethren. What's the, what's the use of the brethren? You know, like, like Sunday night. Boy, if you weren't here Sunday night, you missed out. All right? But the use of Adelphos for brethren, the use of uh, Adelphoi for brethren, and what we have in Christ as the brethren. Well, he's in a prayer meeting and he's talking to the brethren. He's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. But he says, go and report to James and the brethren. James and the brethren. I find that to be an interesting title. And um, a different group of brethren than the group in this house. Or, possibly, James and his physical brothers. Possibly even more likely. Anyway, we can debate that later on. Uh, why are they reporting to James? Why would they report to James if he's not an apostle? See, here's an apostle saying, I don't have time right now. I've got to get out of town. <laughs> but James, he's an apostle. And as more and more of the apostles were being sent forth, James is the last one to remain in Jerusalem. All right. Report these things then to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Where do you think he went when he went to another place in verse 17? You got the context there. Roman Catholic study, that's when he went to Rome and built the... <laughs> he went to another place. What's that other place? Well, obviously that other place is Rome. He's the first pope. He built the church. That is a huge assumption to make on just a little verse like that. He left and went to another place. Wow, really? Okay. Um, this preach extension likely included all four of the Lord's physical brothers. Now, why do I say that? 
because I think that they are included in the apostolic defense argument in uh, 1 Corinthians 9. I think they're included in the early descriptions of Acts chapter 1. And I think two of them wrote books of the Bible, at least two, James and Jude. The book of James, the book of Jude, was written by the human brothers, the half-brothers of, uh, of our Lord. All right? So, this preach extension likely included all four of the Lord's physical brothers. You notice in Acts 1.14, they're in the upper room. Why are they there? And why are they mentioned specifically as being there? So there's the ascension. In Acts chapter 1, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. So, uh, so there's 11, 11 apostles. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with, now notice, the women or take the the out, along with women, the, the handful that were, we saw, studied on Easter Sunday and so forth, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And with his brothers. Why are they there? <laughs> okay. In fact, if, why are they there? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we don't know that any of them got saved. Not in the gospel record. But they're there after the ascension. So what was it between the resurrection and the ascension that changed their mind or got them saved or gave them a reason to be in this upper room after the ascension? Well, because he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And so the brethren are there. Chapter 12 and verse 17. These physical brothers. 12 and 17. Again, James and the brethren. 1 Corinthians 9, 6. 1 Corinthians 9, 6. Why is their marriage noteworthy? You know, the brothers of our Lord can get married. Right? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife? Now, if she's an unbeliever, I can't marry her. But, you know, if she's a believer... Can I take along a believing wife? Even as the rest of the apostles? Every other apostle was a married man. And the brothers of the Lord? They can get married. The brothers of the Lord can get married. And Cephas? We know he was married because he had a mother-in-law that Jesus healed in the Gospels. Okay, The only way to get a mother-in-law is to get married. All right. Now, now, now let me ask you this the rest of the apostles can get married the brothers of the Lord can get married now let me ask you this why could the brothers of the Lord not get married that is a nonsensical statement unless they are apostles he is using this as part of his argumentation for being an apostle he says am I not free have I not seen in the Lord? Am I not an apostle? Are you not my work in the Lord? This whole line of argumentation is what are the privileges? What are the responsibilities? What are the blessings? What are the ministries of apostles like? And in the course of describing apostles, he mentions the brothers of our Lord. 
That is totally out of place if the brothers of our Lord are not called as apostles. See? And that's why I say he appeared to James and all the apostles in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. After the 500, most of whom remain until now, some have fallen asleep, but most of whom remain until now, then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. That's why I suspect that it included James and Joseph and Simon and, and uh, Jude. All four of the named brothers of our Lord. Not the sisters, of course. But the brothers are called as apostles. And two of them wrote books of our Bible. The book of Jude and the book of James. And then, you know, conceivably, one of them could be the author of Hebrews. We don't know who the author of Hebrews. I think Barnabas is the author of Hebrews. That's why the New Testament tells us three times that he was an apostle. The New Testament is making very clear who these apostles are because it's validating the writing of these New Testament books. So I think this preach extension likely included all four of the Lord's physical brothers. And to me, 1 Corinthians 9, 5 and 6 is, uh, is, 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 is critical. You can't, I think, otherwise, if they're not apostles, there's no reason to mention that, well, hey, our Lord's brothers can get married. They got married. Why can't I get married? All right. By the way, the... Um, you can find these for yourself. The, the, the mention of their names in, in Matthew, and they come, and, and, and the people are disputing: Are these not? Uh, is this not the carpenter's son? Is his mother and brothers not with us? And they're mentioned. Uh, the four boys, anyway, are mentioned by name in the in the gospel record. The uh, the key verse here: if, if you have Catholic family members and you want to talk to them about it, um, the date, the time of Mary's, the cessation of Mary's virginity is Matthew 1.25. Joseph awoke from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took Mary as his wife. In other words, brought her into his home, married her. They lived as husband and wife. But he kept her a virgin until. Until. That is, he preserved her physical virginity until she gave birth to a son. After that, after that, they, they were husband and wife. They had sex. They had babies. We have their names. It, it doesn't say he kept her a virgin their entire life, their entire marriage until he died. It doesn't say that he kept her a virgin forever, as Roman Catholic doctrine demands, until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. After that, he no longer kept Mary as a virgin. And if that verse, for the, for the Catholic doctrine to be true, that verse has to be a lie. Because that verse tells us when he took her virginity. After the birth of Jesus. Alright. So he had these physical brothers. By the way, church history tells us that these brothers, by the way, they have different legends. They were half-brothers. They were adopted brothers. They were step-brothers. They were uh, Joseph's from his first marriage before he married Mary. Okay, well... You don't get that in the Gospels, all right? All you get is there's a young man here named Joseph. He's married to a, uh, he's espoused to a virgin named Mary. You don't know anything in the Bible that, oh yeah, he had a first marriage and all these kids, that uh, this poor unfortunate virgin had to not only have a baby as a virgin, how tough is that, but also raise these older step-siblings and stuff. All right. No wonder there wasn't room for them in the in the inn. All right. 
James 1.1. 1, 1. How do these apostles start their books? I think it's kind of interesting. They don't uh, call themselves, by the way, uh, brothers of Jesus. They're a bit more humble for that. Hebrews and James. Um, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So he just calls himself a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't start boasting and bragging and saying, oh, by the way, I'm, his, I'm the oldest of his siblings. You know, I'm the first, uh, the first uh, sinner. And I mean, imagine the pressure of being a little brother there. And, uh, and then the book of Jude, brother of James. Jude, a bondservant of Christ Jesus and brother of James. Could have said brother of Jesus, but he says brother of James. To those who are the called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Anyway, I think they're called as apostles. They wrote two of the New Testament books and we have the episode there. Point seven. Then we have all the apostles. All the apostles. It's the final, before you get to the last of all, all the apostles. Now, all the apostles is a reference different than the twelve. All the apostles is a reference different than the twelve. And you can, you can look at all the apostles in verse 7. And you can see that it's something different than the twelve in verse 5. And just... Someone that's disputing that, ask them. All the apostles is a reference different than the twelve. And it seems to indicate a final comprehensive message. A final comprehensive message prior to Jesus' ascension. It seems to be a final comprehensive message. And it seems to include everybody. Lottie dotty everybody, right? It seems to include Cephas. It seems to include the twelve. It seems to include the five hundred, possibly. In which case, it better be up on a big mountain again. Um, maybe. It seems to include James and the brethren, perhaps. All the apostles. Okay? Not clear at this point. And when we get to Luke 24, we'll try to settle our thinking on it. But it does seem to indicate a final comprehensive message prior to Jesus' ascension. And of all of the preach extensions... Everything but one was before the ascension. The only preach extension, the only apostolic calling that took place after Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father was Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road. It was the only apostolic call after the ascension in Acts 1.8 or Acts 1.9-11. Okay? Uh, let's look at Luke 24. And I'll show you how. This is going to come up in our harmony. This is supposed to be equivalent to Matthew 28 and our uh, Great Commission event. But to me, as I look at Luke 24, 44 through 49, he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms might be fulfilled. This is a pretty comprehensive Bible class. Includes a systematic outline from the Old Testament. The law, the prophets, and the Psalms. You've got a threefold division of the Tanakh, the Old Testament, right there. 
And he's given them a comprehensive systematic theology before he's, extended, before he's ascended. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I love that verse. Okay? I pray that verse. I go into the mind and say, Father, open my mind. And then he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now relax about this. We're going to teach repentance in a national proclamation. We'll teach this when we get to this episode. It's not a gospel message. Um, And you are witnesses of these things. This is the commission of the apostles. And uh, they were. They were uh, witnesses of his death, his resurrection, and the, uh, the gospel of the kingdom. Behold, I am sending you forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. Wait a minute, are they in the city? I thought they were up on the mountain in Galilee. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. Now it doesn't say race back to Jerusalem and get back to the city and stay there. It seems to indicate this message is in the city. And the messages prior to that in Luke 24 were in the city. His upper room, uh, peace be with you, are in the city. This, I, I think the setting for this is in the city. That's why I'm going to separate out Luke 24 separate from Matthew 28. The, the harmony we're using puts them together both in the same episode 12, event 12, and calls it uh, Great Commission. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break them out. I'm going to break them out and uh, distinguish between Luke 24 and Matthew 28. Because here he says, stay in the city until you are clothed on with power from on high. And then the ascension. He led them out as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. This is retold in Acts chapter 1. And, uh, and then they have to wait 10 days to receive the clothing of the Holy Spirit. So I think that this episode, this seventh preach extension, this seventh point here in the outline, the seventh, um, which is really the fifth, Simon, the 12, the 500, James and the apostles, and then this fifth one. These are the five preach extensions um, prior to the ascension. A final comprehensive message. (laughs) I'd say so if we're going to systematically break down the law and and the prophets and the psalms prior to jesus's ascension acts chapter one same author as luke luke wrote luke and acts and so his opening chapter is similar to his conclusion to his gospel It says uh, in verse 3 of Acts 1, where he talks, well, first of all, he says in verse 1, the first account I composed, Theophilus, that's the book of Luke, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had been, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. See, that's what these preach extensions are all about. He's resurrected and he's giving instructions to these chosen apostles. To these he also presented himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and 
speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. This is their preach extension. They're getting their commission. They're getting their doctrine. They're getting their content. He's opening their minds to understand the Scriptures because what they got on the, on the Upper Room Discourse, they had no way to understand that Upper Room Discourse. John 13-17, through 17, they were not equipped to handle John 13-17 through 17, the night they first heard it. But after the resurrection, He opened their mind to understand it. Even before Pentecost, He starts to equip them to understand church-age truth. And instructing them, commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. That's why I think this had to happen after they went to the Galilee mountain, after the Great Commission episode with the 500. Then they went back to Jerusalem and he gave them their systematic theology, opening their minds and preparing them for the church age. Preparing them even before the uh, day of Pentecost. All right, finally then. Last of all, last of all, Last of all, last of all. And the only preach extension after the day of Pentecost. The only preach extension after the day of Ascension, 10 days before Pentecost. If Pentecost was uh, Sunday, May 24th, then uh, Ascension would have been 10 days prior to that on May 14th. Okay. May 14th is Ascension Day. I guess that's a Thursday. Or it was in 33 AD anyway. Alright. Last of all, Paul relates the only post-resurrection, post-ascension. See, it's not just a preach. It's a post-resurrection, post-ascension. But P-R-P-A-E-C-H doesn't smell anything. <laughs> Post-resurrection, post-ascension, ecclesiastical calling and Hannah Fellowship extension, which was his own personal commission. His own personal commission. Last of all, he appeared to one as untimely born. He appeared to me also. And I am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 8-11, and then Acts 9, 3-22. That's a lot of verses to read in five minutes. Um... As to one untimely born. What is that expression? As to one untimely born. Huh. You know, in his childhood, he was born. I mean, when, when, what year was he born? If he was saved in 35 AD, or not saved, I mean, he was called as an apostle. The Damascus Road calling was 35 AD. I think he was saved in his childhood. That he was, he was raised uh, from, uh, from childhood. He's a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. He tells Timothy, from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures that are able to lead you to eternal life. He tells Timothy that childhood is when the scriptures, uh, when you've got to be grounded in the scriptures, when you come to faith in Christ. I think Paul was saved as a child. And then he, went, and then he got insane in his college days, his graduate school. Sat at the feet of Gamaliel, was steeped in arrogance and pride. He was in full support of the Sanhedrin in executing the Christ. And yet he was untimely born. What a, what a grace blessing that he was too young to vote against Christ. But two years later, he was old enough to vote to put Stephen to death. He says, I cast my vote against them. They laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. Probably his first legal vote as a member of the Sanhedrin was the execution of 
of Stephen. And yet, think about God's grace. <laughs> think about God's grace. So you can't become a, a, a voting member. You cannot be on the Sanhedrin if you're younger than 30. You also have to be a married man, by the way, which I find remarkable. I, I suspect after he starts naming the name of Christ that, uh, that they issued his divorce to, to free her from the, the heresy of his, uh, of his apostasy, right? They would have viewed him as an, apostate, uh, as an apostate, as a heretic. The Sanhedrin would have, would have absolutely been livid at Saul of Tarsus and would have uh, taken Mrs. Saul away and, and uh, sanctioned that divorce. All right. I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach. And so you believed. Last of all, Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul. He becomes the final apostle for the church age. Acts chapter 9. I've got three minutes now. Acts chapter 9. The verb pistuo is not in this chapter. This chapter, Paul does not believe. This uh, chapter, Paul puts a name to the Christ he had already believed in years ago. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground. Now, if he'd have fallen to the ground and broken his neck and died at that moment, I believe the angels would have carried his soul to Abraham's bosom because he already had eternal life. He received eternal life when he trusted in the coming Christ. As an Old Testament believer, like he told Timothy, from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures. Okay? And he was grounded in the scriptures beyond his contemporaries. Star of his class from youth through teen years, through the feet of Gamaliel. They don't, you don't, Gamaliel didn't take just any old schmuck. Okay? Top student. Brilliant mind. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He doesn't say, what must I do to be saved? He says, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Yahweh? Who are you? What is your name? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city. It will be told to you what you must do. And so what does he do? He got up from the ground in verse 8. There's, Pistuo is not here anywhere. Pistuo, there's no believe. There's no believe anywhere in this chapter. Not here. Okay? And then the Lord calls Ananias and says, I want you to go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Wow. You think he's saved yet? He's praying. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain sight. And uh, notice, the Lord said, Go, he is a chosen instrument of mine, in verse 15, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Brother Saul, verse 17. Here's Ananias speaking. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that I might give you the gospel, so that you might get saved. 
No, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight. He got up and was baptized. He took food and was strengthened. See, Old Testament believers didn't have the Holy Spirit. But here he's going to be identified with the body of Christ as Ananias lays hands on him. Receives his earthly sight, receives his spiritual sight, and uh, he's baptized, receives the Holy Spirit. He doesn't get saved here. He's been saved. He's an Old Testament believer steeped in pride and arrogance and hatred. So just consider that next time if you think there's certain things believers can't do. Well, a believer would never get caught in a religion of a cult or a believer, if he's really saved, would never get caught up in legalism or, oh yeah, they would. They do it all the time. If you're not renewed by the Word of God, you are going to be, tra- you're going to be conformed to this age if you're not transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for this class. And Father, we'll have a couple weeks off now and fire it back up after the new year. If you delay long enough and if we're still here, Father, thank you for uh, providing us with your truth. I thank you in Christ's name. Amen.